1: It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Friday, April 1st, 2011. Yeah, it's the great church high feast known as the Feast of Fools. Oh, man. I'm back in the studio. Yeah, I'll talk about uh, yesterday here in a minute. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ. And this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Unfortunately, uh, there is a rash of really crazy things being said about God. And as uh, Oz Guinness has uh, noted on the uh, White Horse and he did this last year, he fears that evangelicalism as we know it is is drifting into and heading towards well liberalism and uh, it always happens this way you know somebody decides oh we've got to save the church from itself and uh, and as a result of it you know they 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 shave off a corner here they compromise this doctrine there and 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 then you know in ever increasing relevance they end up chucking the whole gospel and what you end up with is some man-centered narcissistic feel-good uh, religion of works righteousness on either left or right. You know one of the things I tell people is that I think liberalism and uh and conservative legalism, you know you, 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 know, you got to work with me here for a second. I'm not I'm not saying, you know, conservative churches are this way. I'm talking about a particular brand of conservatism. Uh the conservatism that's pietistic, legalistic, um many people refer to them as fundamentalist although i don't think that's a that's a, the right term because um i i am a type of fundamentalist if you will in, in that uh, there are there are particular doctrines that are just absolutely non-negotiable but um i'm talking about the legalistic fundamentalists who uh, well uh in one way or another they're contributing to their salvation by their righteousness and what i find is is that You know, uh, legalistic uh, fundamentalism and liberalism are really two sides of the exact same coin. And, uh, you know, they're they're just on different ends of the political spectrum. But both of them have a very rigorous uh, set of doctrines that they defend. And you're thinking liberals do. Oh, yeah, they actually really do. And um and and so you know to be in with their crowd, there's certain things that are expected of you, a certain way that you read the scriptures that's expected of you. Um and uh and ultimately there, you know, Christ's penal substitutionary death, his uh you know his vicarious death on the cross and his shed blood for you. They don't, you know, they they omit that by denying it straight up. Legalists, on the other hand, they deny it by um, omission, if you would. It, it, you know, what happens is, is that they'll say, "Yeah, we believe Jesus died for our sins," but then they never really preach about it. Instead, it's always the thing that you have to do. Always the thing that you've got to do to please God. And and rarely, if ever, do you hear about what Christ has done. Christianity is not on, you know, biblical. Christianity is not on either side of those coins. Biblical Christianity is something completely different than both of those. And the reality is, like I said, they're both sides of the exact same coin. It's a form of self-righteousness. And I think this is one of the reasons why Jesus warns us to beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. I think when we look at the Gospels and we look at the two religious types of groups that came against and were offended by Jesus, the the two sides of the same coin— Pharisees and Sadducees. The Pharisees are self-righteous legalists. The Sadducees are your are your liberal types. It, it, over and again, you see this again. And then I think there was a third group that uh, Jesus warned about the yeast of, and that would be the Herodians, the politicians, if you would. And so biblical Christianity does not exist in some kind of a happy medium between liberalism and conservatism. No, biblical Christianity is something completely different. And he um, goes... It, it you know I'll let you in on some of the things I'm reading I I may have mentioned this already I I'm getting old so if, if I'm telling the same story over again indulge me you know it's the older I get the more I get to repeat myself and you don't have to correct me because I won't remember it anyway but um I one of the uh, the the books I'm working my way through and and plan to uh, I, we have advanced plans. It's going to take us about a year, year and a half to get this out, though, uh, of putting this into uh, an, an EPUB and Kindle edition. But it's a it's a 19th century Lutheran dogmatics text called Schmid's uh, Dogmatics. Uh, and uh, Schmid, he does a really good job of quoting the classical pre piet uh lutheran pietism uh dogmaticians within uh, within lutheranism these are the guys who coming out coming out of the 1570s 1580s uh, after the book of concord is buttoned up the, these dogmaticians were the guys who ended up going toe to toe with um with the jesuits uh, and so you, you you this is late 16th century early 17th century and uh, and these uh, classical lutheran dogmaticians, they you know they they're there through uh, the the beginning rise of rationalism um but what happens is is that there's a reaction against them within uh, within the lutheran church and lutheran pietism springs to life in all of this but anyway what's interesting is is that um i've been looking at the way lutherans Classically, in, in you know, classical Lutheranism is a category, it's a historical category, Classical, how classical Lutheran dogmaticians dealt with the authority of Scripture, especially in light of the fact that I, I think an argument could be made that the Jesuits were some of the first religious people to attack the authority of Scripture within the visible church. And, um, you know, aside from the Marcionites, obviously that was a heresy, but, you know, coming, you know, coming out of the uh the protestant uh, roman catholic uh, tensions that were you know going on in the uh, early days of the reformation um the jesuits come in and they begin to challenge the authority of scripture and what's interesting is is that the uh, lutheran dogmaticians, they almost to a man uh, have an argument that sounds circular in its reasoning and i get what they were trying to do and i'm 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 having a hard time I, here's the deal i've tried i've tried it on and i can't tell if it fits or not it's just one of these it's it's a doctrine that i i sit there and i and i hesitate to tell you but i think it's 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 interesting but the idea is is that these guys actually have written that the authority of scripture is not a doctrine that's to be confessed and you go what Yeah, Well, hear me out for a second. It's not what you think. What they basically say is is to deny the authority of Scripture is to deny the very wellspring and source of our faith, because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. So the person who was going after, undermining, demeaning, uh, subverting, deconstructing the authority of Scripture— um what they're basically what they 're going at is the very fountain uh that faith uh, the living water of Christ flows from if you would um and so they they you know they the way they argued is is that you cannot you cannot make this a doctrine to be confessed by the church because it 's the doctrine it it's the thing that precedes all other doctrines to deny the word of God is to not have faith but to actually have doubt and unbelief it's the exact opposite. And so it's interesting reading uh you're reading what the the classical Lutheran dogmaticians wrote on this. And I think there's some merit to it. Uh, to the way they argued, and it's kind of a forgotten uh way of arguing, if you would. But um at the same time, there's some uh there there then what happens is is that you get into some problems when you start then well, how do you know that somebody has faith? That's when it gets a little bit uh interesting. But anyway fascinating fascinating reading and uh, you know hopefully i'll be able to put something together you know that uh that'll further flesh this out but i i think there's merit to this idea you attack the word of god you know the authority of scripture uh you know faith faith assumes the authority of scripture true biblical saving faith in jesus christ assumes has as a premise that the, that God's Word is God's Word, that it's authoritative, it's true, it's inerrant, all of those things. To deny these things and to attack God's Word is to go after the very fountain that creates faith itself. Again, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of Christ. So, interesting argument. I just wanted to share that with you. Anyway, um, like I said at the opening of the program, today is uh, that, that, that High Holy Day in... Uh, in, in uh, religious circles, certain religious circles, uh, known as the Feast of Fools. And um, yeah, I, I get requests that uh, that uh, my April Fool's Day uh, programming, you know, <laughs> celebrate in one sense or another this particular religious High Holy Day. Now, keep in mind um, that... that uh, you know, the scriptures make it clear that the fool is the one who says in his heart there is no God. So the way I look at it is this April Fool's Day, well, it's the big atheist holiday. And atheism is a religion. They have faith. They have faith in, that there is no God. And uh, flimsy at that, It's, I mean, incredulity kind of comes to mind. But anyway, let's talk about what we're going to talk about on today's program. Because, you know, in in honor of the um, day, I've got some <clears throat> interesting stories um, first of all, I want to talk a little bit about what happened yesterday. I uh, Yesterday was my, our light, and I had plans to uh, attend a conference up in Chicago, and my plans were <clears throat> well-thwarted. We'll talk about that. Um, I've got a story uh, here that Satan is going to be suing Rob Bell for like $18 billion regarding uh, his Love Wins book. We'll talk about that. Um, and then we've got uh, the premiere of uh, uh, of another relevance fail. Of, of the latest Museum of Idolatry exhibit is entitled Boom Boom Fail. We'll be listening to a, a Christianized version of the Black Eyed Peas song Boom Boom Pow. And, you know, I thought nobody did it worse than the Black Eyed Peas, but apparently somebody has found a way to make it worse than that. Um, let's see. Uh, I've got video. <laughs> this is crazy. A guy, a guy by the name of Scott McLeod and Angela Greening discussing di- the Diamonds Conference. It's supposedly a Christian conference. You're not going to want to miss this. Um, if we have time today, this is all depending on uh, and on my time management. If not, we'll get to it next week. Um, we've got the uh, that, move, uh, that video I want to discuss from Granger about the eye and chair and uh, Granger's new vision video. I want to talk about that. And then, uh, and also potentially, we could be talking about Rob Bell says that he's been slandered. So, yeah, there's there's lots on deck here. Now, understand that when I talk about what we're going to talk about on the program, these are just suggested program segments, and that uh, and I have I, I I exercise veto power. And even though I've mentioned it and think and think that these would be worth passing along, we may or may not get to any or all of them. This so <laughs> because again, I'm getting old, and you know it. And I can hide my own Easter eggs, and um, sometimes I feel like uh do it. No, it, it has really to do with time management. So anyway, uh, how do I start? Yesterday, I, I want to talk about yesterday. Real briefly, um, a few months ago, somebody on Facebook uh, put a link on my Facebook wall pointing me to a, um, a conference that was uh, to be held in uh, Chicago, and the name of the conference is the Elephant in the Room Conference. And uh, it was it, it you know it featured uh, Mark Driscoll, Matt Chandler, Stephen Furtick, Perry Noble, I mean t- to name a few. And I thought that the conference was definitely uh, one of those ones that I should attend. And the reason being is because uh, what I saw is is the way the format was set up that they were going to be tackling some of the um, some of the issues that uh, well let's just say the seeker driven guys have been avoiding uh, discussing. And um, and so I thought this really looks like one that I need to attend. So I um, uh, I ended up contacting the uh, folks that were running the elephant in the room conference. And I said I introduced myself as Chris Roseborough from Pirate Christian Radio and said that I was hoping that we could uh, get a couple of media passes uh, to attend the event and cover it. And uh, along with me uh, to go to the conference would have been Evan Gagline from uh, Table Talk Radio. Well, um, you know, as it turned out, they um, they approved uh, our media passes, and uh, and said that uh, Evan and I could attend the Elephant in the Room conference on you know, uh, you know basically as members of the media. I was excited. I was elated. I was jumping for joy. I thought, "Oh, this is great!" Because uh, it was also my understanding that as as members of the media, we would also have access to uh, being able to converse with <clears throat> Mark Driscoll, Perry Noble, Matt Chandler, Stephen Furtick, and you know others that were uh, on the panel there, and uh, and so uh, Wednesday afternoon. I spent, oh, man, I got up early, spent the entire day doing my production work for two full days for Pirate Christian Radio, recorded two programs, uh, and, you know, the the one for Wednesday, recorded the light version for Thursday, got everything ready, had dinner, uh, and was getting ready, you know, I was packing up, getting ready to leave, and then an email arrived from the folks at the elephant in the room conference, basically saying, sorry, but you can't attend. So at the last possible second, you know, um, it turned out that um, our media pass was revoked. So I was not able to attend, and neither was Evan Gagline. And I tried desperately to uh, see if they would allow us, you know, to, you know, attend one of the satellite ones because they have different satellite. No, they couldn't even accommodate us for that. So, um, yeah, um, hopefully we'll have access to – audio or video of the event uh, in the future because uh, I watched the Twitter stream on it yesterday and and thought that there were some pretty interesting things said and worth, you know, obviously I think there's going to be some stuff that's going to be worth passing along. However, I was, um, uh, despite the fact that they, I was approved with the media pass, the media pass was revoked. So there you go. So there you have it. Now you know. So <laughs> that's, uh, that was my big, yeah. Anyway. Moving along. From BeliefNet.com, headline reads Satan sues Rob Bell for defamation, seeks 18 billion in damages over the book Love Wins. Uh, Satan has announced today that hell has filed civil damages against uh, Harper One and author Rob Bell, whose new book Love Wins hit shelves in March and has raised, well, hell. In the book, Bell asserts a, a a universalist theology, claiming that God will save every sinner. Quote, That's going to drive us right out of business," explained the plaintiff's uh, chief counsel, saying that Mr. Satan is seeking six billion in loss of future income, six billion in pain and suffering, and six billion in punitive damages to to, to detour other would be universalists. Many in the legal world were not surprised by Mr. Satan's attempts for legal redress, only that it took him so long to assemble his team of counselors. It has been a full two weeks since the March 15th publication of Love Wins. Quote, Where I live, selecting a legal team is is a hard decision, Mr. Satan explained in a rare interview. Quote, there are an awful lot of lawyers to choose from down in hell. The defendant's attorneys do not deny that Mr. Bell's book has deprived Mr. Satan of some potential revenue streams. However, they argue that this has already been more than uh, remunerated in the hundreds of thousands of people who are now more vulnerable to Mr. Satan's sales pitches because of their own increased judgmentalism and unchristian behavior towards Mr. Bell. (laughs) Oh yeah, you got to get got to get the twist that way. The defendant Mr. Bell who was rescuing an abandoned puppy at the press <laughs> at press time uh could not be reached for comment, but his opponent expressed astonished displeasure at Bell's hutzpah in publishing love wins. "Quote, I mean, I'll be damned," Mr. Satan declared, then checked himself. "Well, actually, I, I apparently won't." And that's precisely the problem. Anyway, great uh great news story there from the um from the smorgasbord of religious buffetism, the beliefnet.com website all right moving along here um, at the museum of idolatry um if you go to a little com, that's the museum of idolatry i also am the curator of the museum of idolatry and uh, although i've been shirking my uh, my curator uh responsibilities as of late but uh, i i've come across an exhibit that was worth passing along. Y- y'all familiar with the black eyed peas' uh, "Boom Boom Pow"? Well, <laughs> now we've got a Christianized version of it. If you'd like to see it, just go to a little dot com. And uh, right now, as of today, it's it's at the top of the list. And the name of it is "Boom Boom Fail." Here here's the Christian version of "Boom Boom Pow." It's complete with um um. Pitch issues and really bad choreography. Just, you, know, you can't see it, but here we go. Gotta get that. Gotta get that. Gotta get that. Gotta get that.
0: Gotta get, that. Gotta get, that.
2: Gotta get that. Gotta get that, gotta get that, gotta get that. that, 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 yo, I got that word of God, that stuff that lifts you when you're low, I got that stone.
1: holy gold. Oh. oh, man, that hurts. Where are the American Idol judges when you need them? Good night. I- you know what I think In fact I think the current crop Of American Idol judges Are too nice We need Simon Cowell To be resurrected To come back and Whew This is awful spit Next level
3: I got that holy ghost That Jesus I
4: got that boom Style, like Holy Ghost style Anointed life, giving flow And I'm living that new life now Sin 2008 Get saved before it's too late I got that boom, boom, boom
1: Yeah, this is actually being performed in a church
4: That Jesus boom, boom, boom
2: Let me hear you now Gotta
1: get that Boom, boom, fail That, that Fail That Fail That That
2: That, that. I'm on that supernatural boom Y'all hear he's coming back soon He's the king of all kings And he's coming for you And when he cracks that sky We gon' all
4: stay fly Don't get stuck in your We're
1: gonna what? <laughs> when he cracks that sky We're gonna something stay fly What? The
2: ways you gotta take on his name I praise him all day long It's my faith that keeps me strong Praying fast and seeking, searching Cause the devil's always lurking
1: You know, I, I'm i thinking that this um this performance here is an argument in favor of atheism
2: We got the God that saves. We got the God that We
0: got
1: the Yeah, he didn't save you from silliness
0: Reaches down to pull you out the
4: gray. Hey, People in the place If you wanna get dead. Throw
5: your hands
1: in the air. You know, I, I'm convinced that, you know, for the longest time, I thought the people who did this song the worst was the Black Eyed Peas, and now this is this is even worse than that. Yeah,
4: holy ghost, come drop the beat now.
2: Bring Red Bible to the streets. Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Bring
1: Red Bible to the streets. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure this'll incite something on the streets, maybe riots. Yep, 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 yep. Here we go, here we
5: go. Clothes, y'all getting hit with the Steppin' on the devil, going to the
2: next level, man. The world getting hit with a the... church getting hit with a the... world getting hit with us.
5: The... This church be bumping bompin. His work goes boom boom
1: <laughs> I'm so sorry, I I don't know why I stopped, it's just cracking me up. This
4: church be bumping
0: bumping. This
1: church be bumpin' bump and fail. This I can't, I can't listen to it anymore. Ah! Oh, man. All right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, listen, if, if you feel the Holy Spirit leading you to uh, rip off a uh, popular secular song and somehow empty it of its secular words and pour some Jesus words into it, please be a be advised that's probably not the holy spirit that's leading you to do that and uh, the proof is always in the pudding because when this stuff ends up on youtube yeah christians always hang their head in shame and and want to find ways of saying yeah you know um i don't know what got into those brothers and sisters but yeah that, that that's not the um, yeah i don't go to that church <laughs> oh man all right, we are up on our first break. If you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Gotta
4: get that. Gotta get that. 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 That.
3: Relevance Shmelovance, we preach Christ crucified for our sins. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. It's.
2: Marty Python's Flying Circus Church.
3: Let's face it, it's a visual age, and the old Bible is impractical and irrelevant, but that shouldn't hamper your spiritual growth. If you're tired
2: of all those words like atonement, sin, justification, and all that deep stuff about God, look no further. Announcing the Massage. A new
1: Bible version that puts you and your personal needs central. Written in a style familiar to readers of the National Enquirer, The Massage concentrates on making you feel good rather than filling your head with all those doctrines that clutter the older Bibles and disrupt unity. So if you've lost that loving feeling, pick up your copy of The Massage today. It's available at your local Jesus and Me stores and at airport terminals worldwide. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheapo Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheapo Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo airs already low prices. Visit Pirate Christian dot com forward slash cheap. Write down the promo code and then click on the banner and then book your travel today. Again, that's Pirate Christian dot com forward slash cheap. All right, we're back. Morning, Christianizing secular songs is the tactic used on South Park. Not to be handled by real Christians. Just stay away from that stuff. Need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions. In order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world, you can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says Join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you would like to make a one-time contribution, you can specify the amount by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and then send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Now, it's kind of odd that I'm doing this, but let me... um. Normally, I reserve this music for the Patricia King gang. But um, I've decided that I'm going to play it for this video because I think these two sound like they should be part of the Patricia King gang. But I have no evidence that they actually are. Yes, um, I'm referring to uh, Scott McLeod, M-A-C-L-E-O-D, McLeod, and um, Angela uh, Grenig. And uh, I've got video of them discussing the um, well, um, Diamond Conference. Diamond Conference. Yeah, the, all I could say is uh, listen in.
3: Yeah. Hey, here we are in Nashville, Tennessee, and we're right in the middle of a Diamonds Conference. So some people might go, you know, what's the Diamonds now and all about? Before we get into that, I want you to meet our great friend, Angela Grinig, yeah. And we've known each other for for. How many years? 11 years, 1999. Many years working together, serving the poor, working in the streets here in Nashville, where you're from in Seattle. Seattle, And right now we're doing the first ever. Now,
1: listen, okay. (laughs) As you're listening to this, pay attention to Angela's voice. She's, She's a little bit softer than Scott, but. She has this really bad habit of like finishing somebody's sentences. And what's interesting is we listen to this video is is that there's certain Christianese and certain phrases that Scott's going to just throw out there and she 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 always finishes his sentences. I mean, it reminds me of a Seinfeld character. I don't know if there was an actually an official Seinfeld character uh who would finish people's sentences you know remember the old seinfeld uh you know sitcom there was all you know you you got the undertaker and you got you got all, all these different characters that were you know that just show up in one episode that you know they, they do something and everyone would talk about it the next day this one is the sentence finisher You know, this is listen to her yeah. diamonds conference so what's what's a
4: diamonds conference i mean is it like gems falling out of the sky no. what is it what we're doing is—it's really taken out of Isaiah 45, and it has to do about reclaiming the inheritance. It's the treasures that are hidden in the ground. People...
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> it has to do with Isaiah 45—the treasures that are hidden in the ground. So, you know, like, you know, I'm—you know—since I'm a pirate, I mean, I know all about
4: treasures. Never mind. I've forgotten about, and it is the children. And really the reason that we're doing the Diamond Conference, um, a good friend of ours, Heidi Baker, will be in with us for the weekend. And we are doing this conference to be able to help Heidi, to be able to help tens of thousands of children get sponsored and get placed and so that they're not forgotten because there are so many that have been forgotten. And so that's really why we prayed, we talked, and that's why we're in Nashville, Tennessee, doing this conference. Yeah,
3: amen. And you know, one of the scriptures I Mm -hmm. I love so much is right before the noble woman, you know, Proverbs 31. It says, "Speak up for those who can't speak for themselves."
1: And yes. <laughs> she did it. She yes, speak up for those. Yes, she's From this point on, she does this quite a bit.
3: Defend the cause of the poor and the needy yeah. for all those who are destitute and yeah. and really part of what we we've been. We're having the privilege to do uh, together yeah. and with a lot of friends that have come in. Is just speak up for the for those who don't have a voice. You know, yes. children. Yes. You know that there's the- yes,
1: yes. Just speak up for people. Yes
3: the most vulnerable and sometimes hidden people on the planet. Mm -hmm. And you you let alone half of the world's population is 16 and younger now. I mean, it's this massive people group, Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. most vulnerable, the most neglected and abused, uh, a huge portion of that are poor children. And God really is looking for people that will speak up, you know, for those who can't speak for For themselves.
1: themselves. There she did. She just completed a sentence for (sighs) him. Now, listen. I want you to make i want you to understand that i don't have a single problem with people wanting to help children with orphans and the young i this is the bible really tells us that this is a way in which we are to serve and love our neighbors but listening to these two i don't think they they understand much at all about what it means to do this
3: and, and declare justice and righteousness and yeah. and and uh you know i was thinking about it with uh with, young, with, with children, you know, they're they're, they're innocent. Uh, they, they're not educated yet.
1: They uh, No, children are not innocent. The, no, they're not. Uh, we're all born sinners. We're all born dead in trespasses and sins. They,
3: uh, they're they not organized. Mm-hmm. You know, they just want to have fun. Yeah, that you know, so. Sense. So they need yeah. someone else. They need people who will say, this is not right when there's sexual abuse, when there's <sighs> neglect, when there's not food, when there's not clean yeah. water. Yes. You know, inner city America is just fatherless.
1: She just went, she closed her eyes, shook her head, and just went, shh. Okay.
3: Kids everywhere. Like, what, what, do you, what do you think we can do as the body of Christ? Is this like, is it too big? Is it a no, giant too big? To,
4: or what do you I, I don't believe that because um, one seed, you know, God says to the whole world, you may be one person, God, But to one person, you just might be the whole wide world. And we need to remember.
1: And which verse says that
4: remember that that one person really can make a difference because I think about Jesus we're just finishing out the resurrection weekend and yeah. you know with the 11 bread and um, now of course with first fruits and all the pieces and and I think about Jesus gave his best even if it was just for one of us mm-hmm. anyway last night um, we had met a woman and she had this incredible deliverance and today she got up and spoke mm-hmm. and shared And she was given to satanic ritual abuse and, you know, was pregnant at 11 years old. And she was married at 11. And um, she had one child who was taken away. And you could just see the woos and the hurts. But, Scott, you had a word that you spoke on, that you taught on. And you asked for someone to come up because God gave you a word. So you take it. God gave you a word.
3: Yeah, well, you know, what?
1: God gave him a word. And, boy, does she sound excited about this.
4: What
3: we're seeing is there's really a double healing right now. Yeah, yeah, Part of yeah. why the children are so yeah, uh, yeah. so ravaged and yeah. so neglected and, and, and rejected as they've been for really decades now yes, is yes, because yes. the older generation has not been healed. Exactly. And so there's a, there's a passage in the Bible, and the little title mm-hmm. in the NIV Bible says, um, says, a sick woman and a dead child. And so we talked about how at the same time,
1: You know, at the beginning of the video, I mean, you think, wow, these people are helping the poor. And now somewhere, this, let me see if I have this story, Scott. Somewhere in the NIV Bible, it says a sick woman and a dead child. And uh, Angela's shaking her head like, oh, this is the most profound thing she's ever heard.
3: At the same time, God is healing the sick women. They're the women with the issue of blood for 12 years, you know, cont-
1: Yeah, okay.
3: Ending for healing. But she finally pressed in and she touched Jesus. Powerful
1: yeah, there we go again. What is I don't know what that means.
3: Immediately yield incredible miracle story. But at the same time, there's a there's a child dying in the story, and they come and they say, "Hey, don't work. don't bother the master anymore. It's over. The kid's dead. It's just you know." And but but Jesus says, "Hey, just believe. You know, you know." And and they go and and Jesus raises this twelve year old. Twelve years of of contending for a yeah of a sick
1: woman, 12, 12-year-old. She's doing it again. That's what you hear that. that sh- in the, she, she's sitting there. I mean, she, she looks like she's like zoning out, like she's on some kind of a, an illegal substance or whatever, you know?
3: Girl that people would say is as good as dad to all the people mourning
4: and, and, and uh, you know. There it is. Okay.
3: Wailing. And Jesus shuts them all up and Enough of that, I man. She's just sleeping. Wake her. And, and, uh, and see, that's that's what's getting ready to happen. Oh yeah, and I, I believe Literally, right. the finishing touches of
1: a, of a healed church. What? <laughs> he says that's getting. Re- he tells the story from the Gospel of Mark. Uh, you know, is Jairus the uh, the synagogue ruler? Right. His his twelve year old daughter is at the point of death you know and come quickly Jesus they're on their way and you know this whole crowd around him and this woman who has who's had an issue of blood for 12 years touches Jesus and she's healed and Jesus stops and says who touched me and the disciples say well, what are you talking about lord look at everyone you're in a crowd of people how can you say who touched you and Jesus finds her right and and says to her daughter your faith has made you well but then the news comes that Jairus' daughter has died. Jesus goes and says, "You know, no, 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 she's just asleep." Everyone thinks that's that's silly. He goes and he raises her from the dead, and this guy tells that story and says that. Wait a second. Let me see if I get. Let's get this context again. Let, here,
3: and, and uh, you know, uh, wailing, and Jesus shuts them all up. Says, "Enough of that, I man. She's just sleeping. I wake her." And and, uh, and see, that's that's what getting ready to happen. Oh yeah, and no, I really,
1: I... that's getting ready to happen. How could you read the story of the of the raising of Jairus' daughter from the dead and say that's getting ready to happen? It's already happened thousands of years ago. What do you mean it's getting ready to happen? Oh, wait. Okay. Yeah,
3: literally the finishing touches of a shield of a church, a healthy church, that have gotten over 12 years of contending. By
1: there she goes again.
3: Two thousand twelve, we're gonna see massive explosions right. of, of, of healing of life in the body that will result mm-hmm. in what exactly. people would consider a dead young generation, yeah. too far gone. No one could you know it's overwhelming yeah. problems, but I I believe the greatest harvest is at hand. Uh,
1: you know, if I was working with orphaned children, I wouldn't want these two helping. <sighs> wow, that was just crazy. I whoa. Anyway, moving along got a couple more videos that i want you to hear audio from um both of them are from granger community church in uh, granger indiana and um yeah uh, well how do i put this the The name of the first one is entitled our story this comes from tim stevens uh, blog leading smart.com uh tim stevens is also the author of pop goes the church should the church engage in pop culture and um uh, yeah, th- things are you know. I don't know if they uh, you know if you remember a, a few months ago we covered Tim Stevens' talk at uh, one of the recent conferences at Granger, and well, Granger Community Church has not been growing; they've been shrinking, and so they're recasting vision and uh, planning on kind of redoing the whole way they do things, and um, and so as part of their recasting of vision, um, in fact, let me just read um, what. Uh, Tim Stevens, right? He, sa- he says on his blog, this weekend hundreds of families made a decision to stand with our community, to make a difference in our city, because we are the people of God, and this is where we live. This is our story. These are the people we love. Others may say our area is dying, but we believe different. We are the people of Granger Community Church, and we won't just accept the status quo. Um, we're pushing back the darkness. The uh, The chapter has chapter two has just begun that's what he's written and so here is um the first video I'd like you to hear and the name of it is our story and see if you can kind of detect what's missing from this considering the fact that this comes from a church well, here listen it
0: question for you. Where are you from? Not where were you born, not your family tree, but where do you call home? You want to know where we're from? We're from Studebaker, shelled out but still standing. From Indian warriors with hearts of elk. From Rodney, the Gipper, and playing like a champion. We run like rivers stand arm in arm like twin cities and come together like two states on an open country road, no separation, from the buggies and ship she to the Hummer shipped out to our soldiers in need, uh, we are the American dream. we're survivors of change dreamers of the future we're not defined by newspaper statistics we will work like champions live like champions we're not scared we're on the move we're not afraid to bleed or sweat or cry or to draw a line in the sand for those who can't draw for themselves this is where we're from these are <clears throat>
1: This is where we're from. We, 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 we. That's the first person plural, plural uh, pronoun. Um. So Granger Community Church has put out this video. It's part of their recasting of their new vision for what they're going to become. And they're talking. Well, it's really all about them. Our
0: people. This is our family. These are our cities, and this is our story. We don't keep the blinds shut. We don't stand in our... Whose
1: story? Our story.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Living rooms behind closed doors. We are front porch people. We don't back down, fall back, or downplay the work that has to be done. And we don't just take a stand. We move forward. We rise upward. And we don't stop ever, period, Lighting up the darkness until every child knows life, every family finds healing, every man knows his strength, every woman finds her peace, and every student or child discovers his or her purpose.
1: Till every child discovers his or her purpose. You know, this is you know, this is one of those um, community rah rah type uh, videos. And the, let me play the rest. Of
0: we are the people of Granger Community Church and Missiana. Our people, our family, our home. This is our story. Let chapter two begin. We all have a part to play. Find your part and let's make history.
1: Find your part and let's make history. Okay. Um. Hmm. We got a problem here. Um. Is the is, is the is the reason that the church exists to help everybody find their purpose? Is the reason that the church is the mission of the church to um help people make history? Is the mission of the church to um um you know to tell their story? Answer No Yeah, see, the problem with this chapter two of the grand new vision for um, Granger Community Church, and they're changing things up because, well, all of their seeker-driven, purpose-driven methodology, um, well, it it ended up um, fizzling. And they grew for a while, and then they started shrinking. Shrink, 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 shrink. So they've had to recast vision. And, of course, the vision comes from God. And now they've, this is part of the, we want you to join in our, our new vision, just be a part of what we're doing here. Cause this is chapter two, chapter one didn't work. This is chapter two. And, um, you could be part of our story. You can help us help everybody find their purpose. Do you think that, um, that people who find their purpose in life go to heaven? will there be people who lived and found their purpose in hell? Did Jesus say, go out and proclaim that God will give everybody a purpose? Or did Jesus instead say, go and proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in his name to all people, all nations? Or did Jesus say, all authority has been given to me Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Yet You see, here's the deal. The purpose-driven message is not really the message that Christ gave us. There will be people who found their, quote, purpose who led a purpose-driven life, who will be in hell. Because you're not saved on whether or not you made a difference in the world. You're not saved by whether or not you found your purpose. You're not saved by whether or not you your Your story was a great and compelling story. See, the Bible tells us the story of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us the story of the one. The one who was promised to Adam and Eve. The one seed who would crush the head of the serpent. And we trace the lineage, the scarlet thread of the one, the one seed, through all of ancient history, 2,000 years ago to the cross, the one who was conceived by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried for us, Men and for our salvation. The story of the one. It's his story, not ours. His, we're called to repentance and the forgiveness of sins, but Granger Community Church. I mean, they they sure do put together a compelling rah rah, type of um, thing. But I'm not convinced that they've actually repented of their seeker driven ism. And the reason I say that is because, uh, well, uh, just 18 days ago on their Vimeo channel, we have a segment uh, that was posted of uh, Mark Beeson talking about the eye chair. And, uh, well, listen in and and, uh, see what you think.
2: Well, we have three groups here. I'm the dude with the food. I'm the the chief chef on, on campus. And we've got mature believers. We've got fresh in the faith. And we've got uh, the spiritually uh, seeking, curious, tire-kicking, show-me-something folks here. 30%, 30%, 30%. And I'm here. My job is to set the table, to present Christ. Whether I'm here or not, listen, I'm responsible as kind of the head chef.
1: I'm re- now, he, he's talking about his job as pastor. He's liking it to him being the head chef, you know, setting the table, if you would. And then at the table you've got mature believers you've got immature believers and you've got seekers who are kicking the tires to see what this Christianity thing is about and he's sitting at a table and behind him though is um, something that looks mysteriously like one of those uh, baby high chairs let's see what he says
2: responsible whether I'm here or not whoever's teaching whatever music is done it's my responsibility to make sure that the right nutrition is offered. Why? Because the AMA has suggested, and they're probably right, that it takes both diet and exercise to live a healthy lifestyle. Diet and exercise. You can't do just one. Of course you've tried. I know, I have
1: too. Now, he's using the AMA diet and exercise thing. That's a metaphor for spiritual life. Spiritual life, diet and exercise, what you eat and what you do.
2: I've tried the Just Exercise program, I've tried that. I've done that. Yeah, well, if I exercise, I can eat anything I want because I exercise. No, you can't. No, you, you can run five miles. If you come home and eat a jar of mayonnaise, it's not good for you. <laughs> so we've all tried that, haven't we? I don't want to do diet and exercise. I just want to exercise and eat whatever I want. Well, you can't. <clears throat> not live a healthy lifestyle. Some of us have tried the other side too. We've tried the just diet. It's all about nutrition. It's only what I eat. If I I eat right, I don't have to exercise. Yes, you do. The AMA says that you do. You have to diet and exercise. You say, no, no, I'm just going to eat the right things. I'll have the proper nutrition, the right diet. I've done that. And I eat all the right food, but don't exercise. And I just get real soft. I get real soft. People push on me. (laughs) Because I'm just soft. It's embarrassing. I know that's not the way it's supposed to be. A healthy lifestyle requires both diet and exercise. We have to have both. And it is the mature Christian who's got this wired. The mature Christian is the one who understands, I gather with the group, with the family around the table, feast on the bread of heaven, the bread of life, and and I'm here every weekend. I wouldn't miss it. And I'm here on Thursday. I wouldn't miss it. I go to my group. I study. I want to get deep and grow strong. I want proper nutrition. And then the mature Christian, watch, pushes away from the table to go out and exercise the faith, to go out and live the faith, to act on what they know. It's not enough to just know, you have to act. Amazing, isn't it? I get lots of letters. This is a letter I just, I just got this week. I get lots of letters. And uh, this is from a gal who's in our church, and, and look, it's got a little dog. Well, that's very nice. And uh, she's been here for a while. She's, uh, she's graduating from one of the local universities, and uh, her father's a pastor. And so before she graduates and takes off, she wanted to write me a note. So she did. I'm going to begin here in the middle of the, of the note. Before I graduate, I want to tell you that I admire your passion more than I can explain. It is evident that Christ is at work at Granger Community Church, and in people's hearts, that they are genuinely being touched. You have been able, now listen to this, you have been able to take the church and bring it to the people. And that is definitely how we should all be as Christians. So many churches have lost their passion, but Granger Community Church is overflowing with passion. Here she says it, and she nails it, doesn't she? What we've been able to do, she says, what we've been able to do is take Christ and take the church and offer Christ to the people. Here's what mature Christians do. They come, they gather at the table with the fresh in the faith and those who are seeking truth, and they feast on the bread of heaven, the bread of life, the word of God. Jesus is the word of God made flesh who dwelt among us. The word of the God, of God is the logos, the scripture, the truth of God's word. And we feast on God's word. The mature Christian gathers at the table, feasts on the word of God, finds in that food the energy and strength and nutrition they need to get up and go serve. See, it's, it's the proper diet and then the exercising of their faith. She says, that's what we've done. The mature Christian is here. And then they take from this the strength, the word, the truth of God, and they're able to share Christ with the world and then bring people back and say, here, sit over in the newcomer chair, sit in the visitor chair. We're glad you're here. And and together we will feast on the truth, the word of God, who is the way, the truth, the life we've
1: come for proper nutrition. Okay, now, nothing wrong with his metaphor so far. So I, I I don't have any major biffs or complaints at up to this point. Here's the deal though, okay? The metaphor he's using is that mature Christians, they gather with every with the, with it, within the church, they feast on the holy things of God and go and live their faith. No problem with that. I get it. I understand it. But here's the deal. The seeker-driven churches, when you gather on a Sunday morning and the pastor opens up the Bible, he's not preparing a feast. He's not preparing a feast of the Word of God. Instead, over and over and over again, and I and I would cite the hundreds of, of seeker-driven sermons that I have reviewed over the past three years on this radio program, the hundreds of seeker-driven sermons. The, the These sermons are shallow. They are verses ripped out of context, designed so-called to meet felt needs. No biblical doctrine really is in them. They twist God's Word. They, I mean, they... It's just ridiculous pablum, designed to meet the, show Show the non-believer that we're here to meet your needs so that you, you can kind of kick the tires and give Jesus a try. You see, the seeker-driven guys do not, do not prepare a feast of God's Word. If they were doing that, then the proof would be in the pudding. You would be able to Dial in to any seeker-driven congregation and go to their sermon section. Download a sermon and you would hear a guy reading copious amounts of God's Word, doing exegetical work, saying, here's what God has revealed in His Word, and using large segments of Scripture in context to do so feeding God's sheep, feeding people copious amounts of God's word, preparing the feast of God's word by teaching it in context, going through the entire full counsel of the word of God, if you would. But that's not what we get at churches like Granger. It's not at what we get at churches like New Spring, Elevation Church, Saddleback, Willow Creek, Church by the Glades, or others. We don't get a feast of God's Word from these guys. You remember, he said diet and exercise are important. The diet that these guys give is junk food. They've learned that so-called spiritual seekers, which they're not, enjoy spiritual Twinkies. They love spiritual junk food. They love Twinkies, Ding Dongs, Cupcakes, Reese's Pieces. I mean... uh, they, they, I mean, you give them basically spiritual junk food, and they eat it up like you wouldn't believe—goat food, if you would. But real Christians can't survive on that. They can't at all. But let's see what he does now, because here's the deal: true Christians can't survive on this—the stuff that's being fed to them on Sunday after Sunday at a seeker-driven church, but. If you go to a seeker-driven pastor and you complain and say, "Pastor, what is the deal with this? Why don't you go deeper? Why don't you actually feed God's sheep?" No, no, no. They can't do that because then that would drive away the seeker. Because yeah, no, no. Seekers, you have to. You you can't give them exegetical sermons. You can't do that. Well, let's see what um, Mark Beeson says about that. Person.
2: But it's diet and exercise both. Now, friends, here's the problem, and I talk to pastors all the time, all over the country. I talk to pastors, and this is what I've discovered. Pastors seem to be unaware of this, but whenever it is that you try to present the, the, the proper nutrition to all three groups, the mature in the faith, those fresh in the faith, those seeking the truth, when you present Christ, there's always some yahoo in the crowd who climbs up in this
1: chair. He's sitting in a, uh, in a high chair.
2: And they don't get it. They climb up in this chair and they go, feed me. Wait, pastor, pastor, feed me over here. And they throw a little baby fit.
1: Yeah, I want to point something out here. Before the seeker-driven guys came around, I actually remember what churches were like in, in evangelicalism prior to the rise of the Rick Warrens and the Bill Hybels. I remember that. And you know what? I don't remember people saying, oh, I need to. I feel like I'm not being fed, because ba- pastors back then actually understood that their job was to preach the word, and they did. Mark Beeson here is giving a complaint that seeker-driven pastors get all the time, and the reason why they get it is because they're feeding their people garbage. They're not actually opening up the word and preaching it. Again, I cite as evidence the hundreds of seeker-driven sermons I've reviewed on my program. Hundreds. They're not feeding anybody. And so in years past, you would never get a you would never get somebody coming to their pastor and saying, "I just feel like I'm not being fed here." I mean, <laughs> When are you gonna actually open up the Bible? I mean, could 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 you tell me what God's word really means? I mean, I I just I'm not. There's no depth to these sermons. I mean, these are just verses picked out of context and woven together. I I don't feel like I'm I, what I this isn't this isn't deep at all. Yeah. Rather than actually hearing the complaint, because the problem has to do with the seeker-driven methodology, he tries to justify it by saying, well, we're preparing a meal that is appropriate for all three different types of people. The mature believer, the young in the faith, and the seeker. Yeah, last time I checked, uh, Scripture says there's no one who seeks God. Preparing a spiritual meal for somebody who isn't a believer, that doesn't make any sense in church. But let's see what Mark Beeson has to say about the person who complains that they're not being fed.
2: Wanting all the attention, they get up in this chair. Oh, no, this is not the high chair. This is the I chair. It's all about me. It's all about me. They sit here whining. I want more, deeper, deeper worship. I want more Bible study. Feed me,
4: feed me.
1: Big you hear the complaint? By the way, I've actually been to a um, Granger sermon. I've been to a Gra- I've been to a Granger service. I've been there. I know how they do their thing. Look it up at fightingforthefaith.com. Evan Gagline and myself went to uh, Granger and ha- went to one of their uh, their evening worship experiences. Yeah, we know all about it. Listen to the review we did of the sermon itself and the service itself. Believe me when I tell you, having been there, I know exactly what this person, that he's mocking, I know exactly what that person is feeling. They walk into a service where you have a 7-Eleven praise song and a secular cover song as part of the worship, and then you have a felt-need sermon with verses ripped out of context that don't even tell you anything about what God's Word really says. And you, you leave there feeling absolutely empty. And if you dare to point it out, you're selfish. But what's funny is, is that the reason I played that, that vision casting sermon first is because the, the entire video was about we, we, we. We is nothing more than the collective I. It is the, it is the plural first person pronoun. We can talk about I. We can talk about we. So he's mocking these guys who are saying, I'm not being fed. I want deeper Bible study, greater worship. And he's mocking them and putting them down.
2: Wimpy, soft, baby, sissy. These people wear me out. And I talk to pastors all over the country, and they say, what do you do with the needy people? I say, the needy who don't yet know Christ, they don't know they matter to God? No, no, the needy, mature Christians who always want it deeper. I say, oh, the ones in the high chair, eye chair? And then I feel called of God to help people. And so I I talk to these pastors, and, and apparently I'm saying things to them they didn't learn in seminary. I don't know why it's not taught.
1: Because it's not taught in the Bible.
2: I say things to pastors, and they say, can we say that? I say, oh, yeah, say that. (laughs) Pastors say, what do we do with the whiny, little, soft, baby Christians? The ones who who act all grown up, but they just demand more. It's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about me. -ah!" You know what these people do? You know what these soft, sissy, baby, big, fat, overstuffed, can't take care of themselves, bloated, On the word of God, but never exercise, never do anything to help anybody. People, you know what these people do? They want the pastor. Now listen to this. They want the pastor to turn his chair, turn his back on all the people gathered because they don't care at all about the mature or the fresh in the faith or those seeking. It's give me, 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 me. And the pastors fall for it.
1: There you have it. Don't go to Granger and expect to be fed the word of God. No, no, no. That's a sign—a sure sign of pure selfishness, according to them. So they, uh, they're getting ready for chapter number two at Granger Community Church, and it's all about them, you know, and them helping people find their purpose. But don't complain about the fact that whatever it is that they're doing in chapter two will be just like chapter one, vapid, shallow. Verses ripped from context, no in-depth Bible study, this pastor not actually preaching God's word. No, 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 no. no. To do that would be to give in to the felt needs of Christians, and they wouldn't dare do such a thing. We're up on our second break. If you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so at my email address, talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash Pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, Pirate Christian. Sermon review when we come back. This one's a doozer. It's, it, I don't even know what to say. It's, it's kind of sort of about the TV show Lost, but not really. We'll be right back.
3: Unless your righteousness surpasses that of Rick Warren, you cannot be saved. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith.
4: This is the air I breathe.
1: This is the air I breathe. I've had enough! Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. All right, hour number two here at Fighting for the Faith Sermon Review time. This sermon is depressing on so many levels. You'll see what I mean here in a second. The good, the bad, and the ugly, we review them all here at Fighting for the Faith. We are an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. This is all part of our long-form discernment, teaching you what to listen for and what not to listen for in a sermon. Today's sermon, question mark, comes to us via City Community Church, Indianapolis, Indiana, layperson Tara Gentry preaching. Yeah, a gal in the congregation. What are her qualifications to preach? The only thing that I can figure out is that she's the daughter of a pastor. The name of the sermon, Pulpits and Wheelchairs. This sermon is absolutely depressing. Depressing on so many levels. Number one, Tara should not be preaching. The Bible does not permit this. Number two, Tara is not really teaching from a biblical text. She begins in her own life story and tells us all about her passion for the um, television show Lost. And then from there extrapolates how the fact that Lost ended its uh, you know ended final episode without answering all the questions that it raised, and that somehow this is a metaphor for life. It actually addresses some very serious issues that we face in life, the consequences of our sin, but it's not discussed in that way. And what's ultimately missing: Christ and the cross. Get ready for a train wreck or a plane crash if you're a losty. Let me kill the music. Without any further ado, here is Tara Gentry, the name of the sermon, wheel, Pulpits and Wheelchairs.
5: Here we go. Welcome to City Community Church. I am Tara Gentry. I am not Nathan LaGrange or Eric Cooper, if you didn't notice. Um, I am just a girl that attends church here with you guys and just a part of this community.
1: Then why are you preaching?
5: Um, I'm somebody that loves to, to find God in life and just to talk about that and to share that with people. So Nathan and Eric quite courageously give me the chance to share those things with you guys sometimes. So I don't think
1: that's courage. I, I, <clears throat> there's different words that I would use for that.
5: So this is one of those days. Um, I was wondering today if we have any losties in the house. Are there any losties in the house? If you don't know what I'm talking about, shame on you. Losties, where are you? What's a lostie? Somebody who loves lost. Passionately loves lost. And I don't know if that's the only amount of people here that love lost. We might have a rough time this morning. if you didn't come in Loving Lost, you're going home Loving Lost. That's pretty much the agenda of the day. Um, yeah, so.
1: I thought the agenda during uh, preaching is um, to, um, well, you know, not get people hooked on, the move, on Lost, but to get them hooked on Jesus. Yeah, just, you know, something I've noticed. But uh, anyway, we continue.
5: It's been about a year since Lost died, and I'm doing okay, doing all right. It's been kind of a rough year for some of us, um, but I'm making it. I'm making it through. Uh, Kevin up there and I were talking this morning. Ignore the guys to your left. I feel like it's the Wizard of Oz. (laughs) Yeah, It's all right. It's all right. They're on the ball. Applause for Jordan and Doug. Thank you so much. Yeah, that's good. (laughs) Um, What was I talking about? Lost. Lost. What about it? Oh, no, it's okay. Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah, Kevin and I were talking before service about Lost and how much we miss it and all these other pansy shows that try to say it's the next Lost. And we're like, I'm not watching that show. It is not the next Lost. Um, Just so
1: you know, uh, Lost um, has nothing whatsoever to do with the Bible. I just thought you might want to know that. I mean, the job of a pastor is to preach the Word, and uh, here we've got uh, just a female layperson doing the sermon today, and we're not in God's Word. We're talking about Lost.
5: I pretty much have not watched much TV at all since Lost died. Um, when I watch TV, I'm serious about it. I mean it, and, and Lost was serious for me, and I'm still healing from...
1: I just can't imagine the pain that you've gone through since you know, Lost is no longer on the air.
5: The loss of Lost. Um, so, what happened for me was I have a friend who got me to watch Lost. I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a minute. But in the series of watching this show, something happened among my friends. This thing we started called Uh-Huh-Huh-Huh-Huh. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, if you ever happen to chance upon my Facebook or my Twitter, there are certain friends that we will um, just send each other this little sentence that says, uh ha 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 ha," And it basically means, I'm totally crying right now, and it's like... <laughs> so, I want you guys to learn how to do that a little bit, because I promise you that it's going to be refreshing, so everybody just join me with a... <laughs> just do it. <laughs> See? Even if you don't do it, it makes you feel good, because it makes you laugh. But what we found when we were watching Lost Together was that even in the midst of some things that were confusing or painful or challenging, there was this sort of beautiful element woven in between all of it, and sort of naturally what happened is that we would be sitting there and we would find ourselves looking at each other, and we would either give each other the pouty lip, which means, that was precious, or we would go, like, I'm totally crying inside right now. Um, and so I want to share with you guys one clip that really brought out the uh-huh, uh-huh, uh uh-huh, and me. So uh, you guys can watch this with me. And if you feel so inclined, you are more than welcome to go.
1: <laughs> I need to uh, let you all know that, no, this is not an uh, April Fool's joke. This was actually the sermon that was preached a couple of weeks ago at City Community Church in Indianapolis, Indiana. I mean, just the music is making me... I mean it's pretty music and look they, they, they there's a dog <laughs> Feel like I need some popcorn I mean, the soundtrack's beautiful, you know? Oh, there's an airplane. I've never seen a single episode of Lost.
5: you need to let one out? No. <laughs> it's so beautiful. I'm sorry, Tal.
1: No, this is horrible. This is not beautiful. This is an abomination. This is a crime that's being committed on these people at this church.
5: All of you losties who have now reopened the wound for you. Um, but, yeah, so when my friends and I kind of got addicted to lost... What we found is that we were watching something we didn't necessarily understand always, but there was something in the middle of those misunderstandings and those questions that was just beautiful. There was something that made us walk away from it, always saying, oh, it was so good.
1: This sounds like post-modernity.
5: We couldn't really tell you why exactly because we didn't understand a lot of what we just watched, and yet there was this element that was like, it's just beautiful.
1: We didn't understand it, but it was just beautiful. Okay.
5: Um, When the last finale came up, May twenty third, two (laughs) 2010, there were some of us who we needed to honor the day, so we decided to have what we called the wake or the funeral. Um, It was otherwise known as our last party, and I'm really sorry.
1: You had a funeral for a television program.
5: Okay to you right now, but we actually have a picture of our uh, Lost Gathering. These are my fellow Losties. Um, you can't see very well. Unfortunately, what you're really missing is all of the awesome scenery that my friend Kim right here made. <laughs> this girl is awesome. Uh, she is Richard. If you don't know who Richard is, she's old school Richard. She actually drew curly man hair on her chest there, and.
1: Nothing like a woman with good curly man hair on her chest, okay?
5: Um so obviously we all had to get dressed up. We have Charlie and Claire and little baby Aaron. Uh 1970s Dharma Initiative dude who welcomed everybody with Namaste. Uh in the back we have Ben and Eloise Hawk.
1: Need to remind you all this is supposedly the sermon time at City Community Church.
5: Hawking and John Locke in his wheelchair with his Gun you know, tucked in the belt there, uh, we have Nurse Juliet, Dr. Juliet, we have Hurley, we have Jack and Kate, of course, Richard, and my absolute favorite of all is my friend here who would absolutely be more defied if she knew I was showing this she 's very shy, um, but the girl in the corner there is Penny and Desmond. She blew up the photo of Penny and Desmond and cut out Penny. And she, like, slipped herself in there all night, and she was, like, walking around like this with Desmond all night. She was kind of the winner of the evening. But sort of in the shadows, I'm there muddied and dirtied with my rifle. I was supposed to be Danielle Russo only because I wanted to carry a really big gun. Um, okay, I'm going to point
1: something out here. Um, so you sh- let's pretend that you went to this church, and uh, you're— pastor decided that it'd be a great idea to have Tara, you know, deliver the sermon that Sunday. And uh, you walk in and you've never seen a single episode of Lost, or maybe you watched a couple of episodes and you weren't hooked by it, and and none of this is even remotely anything to you. Um, what do you do? I mean, isn't the job of the pastor... and she's not, she's not even a Pastrix, the job of the, you know, the pastor is to preach the word. And here we have Tara telling us about all this lost stuff, and I'm completely lost. Bibles are not opened at this point in the sermon. We're getting, you know, Tara's love and emotional experiences that she had revolving around a television show. And, you know, I've seen guys, you know, attempt and some, you know, with some degrees of uh, varying degrees of success. But I have seen some guys try to find the themes in popular culture movies or television shows. I've I've seen guys attempt that. And, on you know, on the one hand, it's interesting. I mean, for instance, if you listen to Higher Things Radio, today George Borghart. Uh, was uh, interviewing uh, one of his good friends, and they were discussing, um, you know, the theme, you know, the spiritual themes that you can kind of, you know, discuss or play off of in the movie Limitless. And it was an interesting conversation because, you know, it, it always comes back down to original sin, you know, when you when you're doing that. But you know, it was it was a decent conversation. But I mean, I, that's not even what we're getting from Tara here. I mean, this she's just full on emoting. About how she loves lost and, and I could care less, what does this have to do with Jesus Christ and him crucified for our sins? what does this have to do with telling the story of Christ in both the old and the New Testament? What does this have to do with redemption? What does this have to do with sound biblical doctrine? What does this have to do with anything that even remotely re- uh, you know relates to somebody in the church <laughs>
5: But our uh, time got cut short, so I just sort of look like an other. And if you don't know when other is, then you should have watched Lost. Um, so, yeah, this is our Lost party. And as we're there, and we all gathered like hours before the show to talk about it, and like we overdo everything. So, I'm sitting on this couch at my friend's house. I'm looking down at my arms that were covered in a combination of brown paint and mud. Um, scratched with <laughs> red food dye scratches to make it look like Claire scratched me because that happened to Danielle Russo I did that a week before I was in a wedding not realizing that dipping my fingers in red food coloring was probably not a good idea before I'm about to be a bridesmaid at someone's wedding but thank you for rubbing alcohol it got it all out. So I'm sitting on this couch, I'm looking down at myself, like, this is ridiculous. I I would feel completely ridiculous if this were not for Lost right now. Because it's Lost, we are totally cool. So I'm looking down, though, and I'm starting to think, like, what the heck, how did it get this far? We are really, really going overboard here. And I thought about the beginning of this journey, this passion, this addiction for Lost, and how it started for me, was that i refused to watch lost i hate survival shows with a passion i'm too impatient for them any measure of suffering i just want to fix it relieve it it's done um i just can't really handle waiting it out i guess and so that did not appeal to me um not really a sci-fi kind of
1: now could you imagine you know um You attend this church for a little bit of time thinking it's a church and, and, you know, this is the type of sermonizing you get. So you go to talk to the pastor and you say to the pastor, Pastor, I mean, I'm not being fed here. Can't we go deeper into God's word? And the pastor immediately goes, I heard Mark Beeson talk about this and go, you're just a selfish, lazy self. You're in the eye chair. How dare you? Don't you understand that this is a, a meal that was prepared by Tara for all for, for mature believers, for new in the faiths and for seekers? And you're going, what are you talking about? I mean, she went on and on and on about Lost. This, this, this wasn't spiritually deep. This wasn't biblically correct. This wasn't biblically deep. This wasn't a biblical meal. You're just selfish.
5: Girl, so that didn't appeal to me either. So I think it was a good two, maybe even three seasons into Lost that a friend of mine finally, finally got me to watch one episode with her. And everybody who watches Lost knows that that was a death sentence. So I agree to watch one episode, we we get one disc, and I'm like, fine, I'll watch one episode. That one episode, of course, at the end, I'm like, okay, maybe we can watch one more, and then we watch one more. And then after that second one, I was like, let's just watch one more. And we kept going, of course, we finished the first disc, and then she leaves, and I can't handle it. There are all these questions I have already in four episodes. And I, I, I'd like to say that loss ends with the what factor. Like every episode you go, what? And then you have to watch again. So of course I went and I started renting disc after disc. I was exhausted for work every day. I was up till two, three. F- I mean, this sounds
1: like a drug addiction.
5: Four every morning. I couldn't stop watching. Finally, I'm caught up. And then it's like in between seasons, which is absolute torture. But what happened for us is that along the way, there were several of, several of us really good friends that started watching this show together every week. And we would call it Lost Night. And we were already really good friends, so it was fun to hang out anyhow. But we would uh, go up to this living room. We would turn out all of the lights because the lights had to be out. You were not allowed to come up if you wanted the lights on. Lights have to be out, and there's no talking once the show starts, which never happened. We
1: Again, just a reminder, this is not an April Fool's joke. This actually is the sermon that was preached at City Community Church in Indianapolis, Indiana, a couple of weeks ago. And by the way, she preached the next week, too.
5: I always started talking because we had so many questions. So we had to pause, and it would take like three hours to actually finish. But something about it turned out to be just beautiful, like Here are these girls who are already really good friends, and in the meantime of watching this TV show together and experiencing all these things that made us ask questions that we could never find answers to and struggle with the issues these characters are experiencing and we're we're feeling like, I go through that, I feel that, I do that too. And we're kind of finding this exchange of like real life and fake life and this whole combination of watching it and talking about it and realizing... This is sort of my life and the way I feel and what I deal with. And so when we came to our last party at the series finale, when it ended, we all kind of sat there. And I'm not going to lie. Some of us were crying. Um, We talked at the end about all the things we thought they might do.
1: And what does this have to do with Jesus, the Bible and sound doctrine or anything
5: that they did not do? We talked about the questions that were not answered and all the things we thought we really wanted to know all along. But at the end of it all, we realized that we were actually glad that they didn't answer all of our questions. Because what we experienced while we were watching was that those questions and those answers were never really the point. Those questions and those answers were the thing that got us coming back for more all of the time because that show was like the only thing that could possibly tell us what was coming next but really that wasn't why we were watching we were watching because we were experiencing something that was beautiful we were experiencing forgiveness and redemption and relationship
1: so you were experiencing forgiveness redemption in in watching lost I, last time I checked Jesus Christ wasn't actually one of the main characters in Lost, but um, you know, having not watched one, maybe he went under a different name i I don't know. Was the biblical gospel preached in Lost? Were people called to repent and for and repent of their sins and be forgiven in Christ in lost?
5: What we realized that night is that for us, if lost had ended, by answering all of your questions and making everything clear, then it would have entirely missed the point. So the next day, I get online, and I see all these people that are frustrated with the finale, because they didn't answer this, and they didn't answer that, and I need to know this, and I need to know that. How can I ever lay it to rest if I don't know? And my heart kind of sunk, actually, because I realized that watching this show, I had kind of experienced something a little bit deeper. and. I thought, oh, how sad, you've totally missed the point. And when I thought that, God spoke to my heart and said, Tara, how many times do you say to me, God, I just need, the, I just need answers, just answer this, move, answer this
1: one. Oh, so now God shows up. Not in the Bible first, no. God shows up speaking to her heart, giving her insights as to how come all of these people were so dissatisfied with this final series episode of lost and God speaks to her heart and points out to her directly the deep spiritual meaning of the whole thing so that she now has, she has insight that nobody else has because God himself has spoken regarding people's reaction to lost.
5: One thing, just answer this one thing. And he's saying to me, Tara, 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 you are entirely missing the point. If you come to the end of the story and you're still stuck on the answers, then you are entirely missing the point. But before we... So, and where does the Bible
1: say that? If you come to the end of the story and you're still stuck on the answers, that you're entirely missing the point, especially when it comes to God, Christianity, the Bible, Sound Doctrine, things like that, hmm? Where does it say that?
5: Before we talk about the end of the story, I want to talk about the beginning of the story. So if you have your Bible...
1: So now the Bible makes an appearance. Okay, Pay attention to what she does here.
5: Or if you don't, it'll be up on the screen. If you have your phone, iPad, whatever everybody uses these days. You can turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. Very first book in the Bible. Very first chapter in the Bible. And I'm going to be reading out of the message. Lovely. I'm actually going to read a
1: whole chapter of the Bible out loud in church. Is that okay? Do did, did, did you hear what she said? I'm actually going to read an entire chapter of the Bible out loud in church. Is that okay? It's unheard of in seeker-driven congregations. Absolutely unheard of. Now you go to my church. I mean, we got three full-blown long passages every single Sunday from God's Word, an Old Testament reading, an epistle reading, and a gospel reading. Collectively, it, it's it's about three chapters, and the pastor preaches on the gospel or one of the epistle or one of the other texts every single Sunday. But she has to ask, is it okay if I read an entire chapter of the Bible in church?
5: It won't kill us, I don't think. Um, So if you have your Bible, read along with me. If you don't, you can just kind of follow along on the screen. It says, first this, God created the heaven and earth. All you see, all you don't see. Earth was a soup of nothingness, a bottomless...
1: Gotta love that message paraphrase, man, yeah. Earth was a soup of nothingness.
5: (sighs) emptiness an inky blackness God's spirit brooded like a bird above the watery abyss God spoke light and light appeared God saw that light was good and he separated light from dark God named the light day he named the dark night it was evening it was morning day one God spoke sky in the middle of the water separate water from water God made sky he separated the water under sky from the water above sky, and there it was. He named sky the heavens. It was evening, it was morning, day two. God spoke, Separate, water beneath heaven, gather into one place, land, appear, and there it was. God named the land earth. He named the pooled water ocean, and God saw that it was good. God spoke, "'Earth, green up, grow all varieties of seed-bearing plants, every sort of fruit-bearing tree, and there it was. Earth produced green seed-bearing plants, all varieties, and fruit-bearing trees, all sorts. God saw that it was good. It was evening, it was morning, day three. God spoke, "'Lights, come out, shine in heaven's sky, separate day from night.'" Marked seasons and days and years, lights in heaven's sky to to give light to earth, and there it was. God made two big lights, the larger to take charge of day, the smaller to be in charge of night, and he made the stars. God placed them in the heavenly sky to light up earth and oversee day and night, to separate light and dark. God saw that it was good. It was evening, it was morning, day four. God spoke, swarm ocean with fish and all sea life. Birds fly through the sky over earth. God created the huge whales, all the swarm of life in the waters, and every kind and species of flying birds. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them, prosper, reproduce, fill ocean. Birds reproduce on earth. It was evening, it was morning, day five. God spoke, "'Earth, generate life, every sort and kind, cattle and reptiles and wild animals, all kinds.' And there it was, wild animals of every kind, cattle of all kinds, every sort of reptile and bug, and God saw that it was good. God spoke, "'Let us make human beings in our image, make them reflecting our nature, so they can be responsible for the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, the cattle and, yes, earth itself.'" and every animal that moves on the face of earth. God created human beings. He created them God-like, reflecting God's nature. He created them male and female, and God blessed them. Prosper, reproduce, fill earth, take charge. Be responsible for fish in the sea and birds in the air, for every living thing that moves on the face of the earth. Then God said... I've given you every sort of seed-bearing plant on earth and every kind of fruit-bearing tree, given them to you for food. To all animals and all birds, everything that moves and breathes, I give whatever grows out of the ground for food. And there it was. God looked over everything he had made. It was so good, so very good. It was evening, it was morning, day six. Heaven and earth were finished down to the last detail. By the seventh day, God had finished his work. On the seventh day, he rested from all his work, and God blessed the seventh day. He made it a holy day, because on that day, he rested from his work and all the creating that God had done. This is the story of how it all started, of heaven and earth when they were created. (laughs) Reading this, we can get the idea that everything's going to turn out all right for this story. Yeah, it sounds good. Over and over it says that God created and it was good. He did this and it was good. He spoke that and it was good. All of these things obeyed and did what he said and it was good. And we can get the idea that everything is going to go just right, everything in order, nothing's ever going to go wrong. But we read on and we find out that even in God's story, things didn't always go right. Even though God created good, things didn't always go as he had planned even in his story. And there are things in our lives that I think we can all think about that aren't right.
1: Okay. Now stop. What's missing here? A clear exposition of why things don't go right. Because the story doesn't end with God just creating. It continues until, and we find out that God created man and woman and that they sinned and rebelled against God. Things didn't go well, and the reason why they didn't go well is because of our sin. But she didn't explain that. Now, did she? So we just got, and God, see, and look at God. It didn't go, not everything went right in his story either. Hmm, yeah, okay.
5: In our story, things that aren't what they should be, things that are not what we had hoped that they would be. When the story takes a turn that is unexpected and painful, When relationships are lost, when we struggle with our finances, when we're betrayed and we're disappointed. All of
1: these things are the consequences, the fruit of our sinful nature.
5: And things just aren't right somehow. I think about these things, and I think about my brother and my sister in law who struggled for about 16 years to be able to have a baby. And I remember over and over and over again crying and praying, knowing how deeply they struggled with There was no reason. No one could tell them. There was nothing wrong with either one of them, and yet they couldn't get pregnant. And I remember thinking, God, it's just not right. It's just not right. Why aren't you doing something? It's not right. And then I think about my students at the recovery home where I work, and I think about the trauma that so many of them have experienced, and the abuse. how so many of them have been raised in homes with parents who don't care about them, who didn't take care of them, who taught them things about themselves that were not true, who didn't love them appropriately.
1: And I listened to their And all of these things are part of the fruit of our sin. They're symptoms of our sinful, fallen nature.
5: Their stories, and I think, God, it's not right. It's not supposed to be like this. And then I think about my own family, how so often in our life in the church and even with other Christian family and friends, we've been disappointed, and we've been betrayed, and we've lost a lot and we've hurt by the very people we thought should understand and should treat us better than that. And I remember as a teenager crying in my bedroom saying, God, it's not right. It's not right. It's not supposed to be like this. I think of the little boys and girls in Swaziland.
1: And she's right. It shouldn't be like this. How did it come to be this way? Do you think Jesus' death on the cross has anything to do with solving the problem?
5: In Southern Africa, where I've had the privilege of going a couple times now, and these kids who are so beautiful, and this little baby Angelica, who's just burned in my heart that I got to hold for hours one day. These kids growing up in this country that is ravaged by HIV and AIDS, where nearly half of their population is suffering from HIV and AIDS. These innocent babies, these innocent children. And I remember holding her and looking at her thinking, God, it's not right. It's not right. It's not supposed to be like this. I think of Egypt. I think of Libya. I think of Japan and New Zealand and all of the tragedies and the traumas that are happening all around the world and in our little tiny worlds, too. And how often we just burn inside saying, God, it's not right, it's not right, it's not supposed to be like this. And then I think about my grandma, who has been one of my best friends my whole entire life. She is a feisty, festive, awesome Greek lady. And she's always been that one person that could make everybody laugh. She's a lady that was talking to everyone everywhere we ever went, and you would be like, oh my gosh, seriously, are you talking to someone again? Like, can we go now? She's just so sweet, she cares about everyone. She's so hilarious. And over the last 10 years or so, my grandma slowly slipped into dementia, and in the last few years, ultimately, into Alzheimer's disease. And I think about her vibrancy when I was growing up, and how I remember thinking, like seeing other people's grandparents that were so frail and weak, and my grandparents were like, I was struggling to keep up with them all of the time. They were so active and so fun. And then I think of my grandma now, weak and feeble, in a wheelchair, not even remembering who I am anymore. And I struggled to reconcile grandma in the wheelchair with grandma who used to take me to soccer games, and who I would have to say, slow down, I can't keep up with you, and my grandma that doesn't remember me anymore. I struggled to reconcile the wheelchair with the words that people have told me my whole life, whether it was family or friends or things that I heard, and a pulpit in church. Somebody telling me, when God closes the door, he opens a window, and I'm supposed to be comforted in the middle of the wheelchair. And somebody tells me, everything works out for good. God is able to work all things out for the good of those who love him. But I still struggle with the wheelchair in the middle of God works things out for good. When people would tell me there's a reason for everything, and I would think, yeah, and sometimes there's a really bad reason for things. There is a reason, but it might be a really bad one. Like people being greedy.
1: Okay, now listen carefully to her complaint here. Th- these are all valid co- complaints. This, she's rightly feeling the depth and the breadth of just how screwed up everything is on this planet. And all of this, the Bible teaches, is a result of sin. She's put her finger on the problem. And what she's doing right now is emoting about her experiences with this problem. But remember, the job of a pastor, and she's not, is to proclaim Christ and him crucified for our sins. Jesus came to seek and save sinners. Sinners who have screwed everything up.
5: People being hurtful. So it doesn't really make me feel better when you come telling me, Tara, there's a reason for everything. And then the one that really was like nails on a chalkboard to my teenage soul when I was suffering from uh some teenage church issues. People telling me, God is good. All yes, all the time.
1: And you know what? I've been in these churches, and it's like they collectively get together to deny reality. Rather than face up to what's going on, to be a place where we confess that we are sinners, saved by the grace of Christ won for us on the cross. Instead it's like you go to you go to church to get affirmation that everything's going to be okay in your life. You know, it's it's like going to the a, a second getting a second opinion from a doctor. You like you've got the the first diagnosis and the diagnosis has come back terminal cancer. And I don't, I don't like that diagnosis. And so church has become a therapy group where people collectively go to deny reality. It's unbelievable.
5: God is good. And I'm a pastor's daughter, so I'm supposed to shout that out louder than anybody. I'm supposed to mean it and feel it. Yeah, God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. And I knew that underneath it all, I know that I believe that, but I'm really struggling to feel that sometimes in the middle of the wheelchair.
1: Yeah, and maybe you just need to question whether or not the Christianity you were taught is actually the real thing.
5: And I would sit out there and I would hear these truths that I knew were were truths, these encouraging words. That I knew that somehow underneath it all I believed that or I wanted to be able to still believe that. But I was struggling to reconcile the pulpit with the wheelchair.
1: That is such a profound statement. She was trying to reconcile the pulpit with the wheelchair. If the theology that's being preached from the pulpit leaves you in a position where you can't figure out how to reconcile what's being said from the pulpit and the wheelchair that you're experiencing in your life, there's a problem with what's being preached from the pulpit. Because biblical Christianity addresses this straight up and head on. It doesn't try to candy coat it, doesn't try to sugar coat it, doesn't try to make it Less than it is. Doesn't try to deny it or say that you can just confess it away. No, it hits it straight on. It says the reason why you are dying and why everything is falling apart in your life and why you continue to mess everything up is because by nature you are a sinner. And even the creation itself is groaning under frustration, waiting for the sons of God to be revealed when Jesus Christ shows up on the last day to judge the living and the dead. That things were so bad for your situation that there's nothing that you could do to offer God for you know, to make him happy or to pay for the penalty of the things you've done wrong. Your contribution is your sin. And the wages of your sin is death. And that Jesus conquers this problem by taking his, our sin upon himself. And on a Friday afternoon, is beaten, scourged, whipped, crucified, a crown of thorns pushed into his head. And ultimately, he dies on that cross. The greatest murder of all of humanity, the only innocent and sinless man to ever walk the earth, was murdered by us, was murdered by you, was murdered by me. Biblical Christianity, when it's preached from the pulpit, the wheelchair makes sense.
5: I didn't really know what this has to do with that anymore, because this is depressing and that is encouraging and somehow they're like not blending very well. And so what do we do in the in-between when we feel like we're living between pulpits and wheelchairs? When we're living between the the shiny, happy church scene of the smiling people who are leaning on each other, rubbing each other.
1: Smiley, happy, shiny church scene. Hmm. Doesn't sound like it's real to me.
5: Everything worked out so good. Look, isn't it beautiful now? And then flashback, guys bleeding and dying in the woods with the comfort of a really cute dog. How do you reconcile those two things? And in betweens, I struggle because I think that I need an answer, but I'm not getting one.
1: That's because what's being preached in your pulpit is not isn't capable of giving you an answer. But the reality is, is that Scripture does give you an answer.
5: My grandma is one of those people who reminds me of redemption. Somehow, in between it all, I remember that God is good. The problem is that often I forget who I'm dealing with. And I think we often forget who we're dealing with. We forget where this story came from in the first place. We forget that the God we're dealing with is creative. That he's creatively good. And that he's able, when he was able to create out of nothing... In the first place, he created something good. And so if he can create good out of nothing, it's actually possible that he can create good out of anything.
1: This is just tragic. The thing is, is that God has created the most amazing good out of the greatest tragedy, Jesus' death on the cross. Her reasoning is actually pretty good. But where's the cross? Because that's the answer she's looking for.
5: Even the worst pieces of my story, he is creatively able to make good.
1: Worst pieces of my story. There we go again.
5: I think it's significant that the first way that God identifies himself in Scripture is not as a mathematician, filtering equations and offering solutions, but as an artist. He intentionally first describes himself as an artist who works by process. Repeatedly, day one, it is good. Day two, it is good. Day three, it is good. Day four, day five, day six, day seven, and he rests. He rests because it is good. God is this creative artist who works and process even he moves one day at a time when I remember who I'm dealing with I remember that God creates and that God is able to make good as painful as it is I love spending time with my grandma um, I'm going to tell you a few stories about her because she's awesome um, My grandma is... my grandparents actually lived in Michigan. We moved them here to be closer to us. Um, My grandma has to live at a home so that she can actually be taken care of in ways that we can't take care of her. However, we got her as close as possible so that we can be with her as often as possible. My grandpa moved here as well so that we could try to make the best of this painful ending, it seems. And so I love visiting my grandma. I guess it's a place that people should feel depressed and sad to go to, and sometimes I feel that. But as soon as I see her, it's like, this is so not depressing anymore. I mean, there are certainly times where it's sad, but um, it's sad when I walk in the room and there's that blank stare, like she's not really sure who I am, or there's that confused look. Um, It's sad when she calls me that girl, Where'd that girl go? Where'd that girl go? Except that I realized she's looking for me, and it mattered to her that I was in there. Um, I used to be sad when she would call me her instead of Tara, until I realized she's paying attention. She notices when I leave the room. She wants me to be in the room. In her mind, Tara's still a little girl with loose baby teeth, so I'm a little confusing. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if this is really silly. Um, it probably makes no difference. But there's a part of me that every time I go to see her, I try to look as familiar as possible and the way that I do my hair. And uh, whether I wear my glasses or not, I want to appeal to her long-term memory as much as I possibly can. Um, but I love being with her. And there are those moments where I used to get frustrated to hear her call me that girl or <laughs> her, her. Where does she go? And then I realized that It mattered to her that I was there. Whether she realized that I'm Tara or not, she likes it when that girl stops by. Uh, There was one time that (laughs) we were sitting on the couch um, in my grandpa's little apartment there. We're watching TV. Nobody's really talking. We're all just looking forward. And she can be really hysterical sometimes or she acts really mysterious sometimes. And she like very suspiciously looked over at me and she started going like this. And then she, like, barely poked me, and she goes, you're the problem. And I started cracking up, of course. I'm like, you're totally awesome. And there's just this, like, I don't know, there's something not right about that, but there's something good about it, too. There's some beauty and some joy in it. Um, one of my favorite memories with my grandma ever now has actually happened after the Alzheimer's. And in this moment can easily compete with any other happy memory in my entire life with her. It will forever be my favorite memory with my grandma. And it was a day when I was wheeling her down a hallway and she had not been very talkative or involved that day. Um, and she said, uh, she just kind of started looking up at me and she goes, I know you, you're Tara and i said yeah grandma i'm tara and then she looked at the male nurse next to me and she goes i wouldn't let her get away (laughs) it's like okay (laughs) i don't think there's anything going on between us but i guess she's like voting for male nurse guy but (laughs) so that same day as we're walking back to her room later i'm wheeling my grandma in her wheelchair and she's looking up at me again and We had stopped. My mom and dad and I were standing there talking to my grandpa. And she's sitting in this chair, and she's just, like, looking up at me very um, inquisitively. She's thinking really, really hard. And so I just looked back at her, and I just touched her, and I just was looking back. I wasn't saying anything. And she looked up, and she said, I love you. Of course, I went
4: <laughs>
5: inside. I didn't do it outside. Um, but it was almost like she wasn't even telling me she loves me. She was remembering for a minute. I love that girl. I still feel that. I still love her. And so even in the in-between mess of that whole wheelchair life that is is not the life I used to know with my grandma, I find that something beautiful, something good is still creatively possible in this relationship. There was a part of me when we first started to lose her to Alzheimer's, I would say, I would say losing my grandma to Alzheimer's, and I realized I'm actually not losing her, I'm finding a whole other dimension of who she is while she's in this wheelchair. And through this experience of suffering, I've been able to find that God is good on a whole other level than I've ever understood before when we treat her like she still matters and when we love her, not because we are good, but because God is good and he loves her and that is good. Even in the things that don't seem right in our lives, God is creatively capable of making them good.
1: Now we're talking about God's love In a sentimental and abstract form, God's love is revealed for us this way God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for our sins. Christ died for our sins. You know, listening to this makes me want to read a Bible story. One that deals with these very issues in a very real way. And I'm frustrated and I'm sad for Tara. Because I know what it's like to to see a disconnect from what's being preached in the pulpit and what is being lived out in real life. To be with a group of people who are happy and clappy and putting on some kind of religious facade to make it look like it's all going to work out and it's going to be good. And then they die. I remember when I was um, teaching at Capo Valley Church in San Juan Capistrano, California. One of... The man who was in my Bible study was an older man. And he was getting sick. He was losing his lucidity. He was getting ready to die. And I remember visiting him in the hospital. And him looking at me going, I must have really sinned to make God this angry at me that I'm suffering this much. and had to tell him, no, your Jesus died for your sins. Your forgiveness is a free forgiveness, won by Christ on the cross. I have to point him back to the passages that he is in Christ, that he's forgiven, his sins are washed away. Let me tell you a story from the Bible, John chapter 11. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, in village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. The disciple said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you you want to go there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I will go to wake him. The disciple said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, He will recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we can die with him. Over spiritualizing there. Verse 17. The, the English here is just so pathetic. Deeply moved is like an understatement. If you read it in the Greek, it's, it's, he's really upset. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. We make jokes about this verse because it's the shortest verse in the Bible. It's just two words. I I think it was wise of whoever chopped up the verses here to make that one verse. Stop and think about this. All of the pain, all of the suffering that you and I experience in life. I mean, each and every one of us, we go through our days knowing that at any moment we're going to get that phone call. And you know what I'm talking about. It's the phone call that comes in the middle of the night. It's the phone call that says, Grandpa's dead. Grandma slipped and fell and she died. Or the knock on your door with the police there. Ma'am, I'm sorry to tell you that your teenage son has been in a car accident and he's not here anymore. He's dead. We need you to come to the station to identify the body. Or you get the news that a loved one has cancer. And over the next few months, you watch them being eaten alive from the inside out so that when they die, they look like they're an Auschwitz victim. All of these, we suffer and go through all of this. And each and every burp, hiccup, thing that goes wrong in our life, from losing our job to not being able to pay our bills to getting a cold to getting a flu to breaking an arm, breaking a toe or whatever, all of those are little mini-deaths. They're all little tiny fruits of the big fruit that's sin in our life. And when it is fully ripe and ready to harvest, that's the day when the news comes to somebody else about us that we have died. Christianity does not teach you to put on a brave face and act like it isn't there. It is there. Everything that you're experiencing is because of our sin, your sin. Collectively, we have screwed everything up because we've rebelled against God. And we rebel against him in thought. We rebel against him in deed. We rebel against God by the things we do and the things that we don't do over and over and over and over again, daily. And the solution isn't us pulling ourselves up by our moral bootstraps. Jesus is the resurrection. He's the life. So Jesus deeply moved in his spirit. Again, this is just a weak translation. I don't think there is any English way of putting this. Deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, come Lord and see. Jesus wept. All that pain that we feel he's felt. We do not have a God and Savior who does not understand. He does understand he wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus deeply moved again. And what's interesting about this in the Greek is that it's as if he's angry. The way this reads, it's as if Jesus is angry and you can't, and you you have to kind of fish around in the text to try to figure out what on earth he's angry at. And you realize when you read this in the Greek, the thing that he's angry at is the whole screwed up, messed up affair of it all. He's going to do something about this. He's going to resolve this. He's going to solve this. And he's going to do it definitively. Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to her, Lord, no, by this time there will be an odor. He's been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? He's, he's, he's busy now. He's doing something now. So they took away the stone. Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father... I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out his hands and his feet bound with linen strips, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, and this is a good translation, Unbind him and let him go.
3: Unbind him and let him go. who is this Jesus
1: that he can command death to release its prisoners? And then when they're still bound up in burial clothing, command that they be unbound as if they're somehow slaves or prisoners or something. Who is this Jesus? And see, this resurrection points to our resurrection, because Jesus himself, he dove headlong into death on that Friday when he couldn't even move his arms to scratch an itch that he had or to wipe away the sweat and the blood in his eyes or to shoo away the bugs that were burrowing into him and biting him while he was bleeding and he was dying he cried out in a loud voice it is finished and father into your hands I commend my spirit and he died
3: God died
1: This wasn't supposed to happen. There was an earthquake.
3: God died.
1: And for a few days, it seemed like there was no hope. None. How can this be? But death could not hold him. And on the third day after he was crucified, he rose again. And he has said that he's coming back. And when he returns, he's going to call you and he's going to call me from our graves. He's going to command death to unbind us, to release us, prisoners of sin, death, and the devil, all with his command and mighty voice. The same voice that spoke the universe into existence is going to call you from your grave. When you look at what the scriptures teach, it is a gospel that is preached to people who are dying. The church is not a place for us to collectively pretend that all of the horrible things that are happening are not happening. And to teach us if we just have a stiff upper lip, that's okay. God is going to cause all things to work together for good. No, we confess that we're the ones who've messed everything up and that we're going to die. But Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even though he dies, yet shall he live. We are not to live as people who do not have hope. We do have hope. Why? Because Jesus Christ was crucified And he was raised again on the third day. This is why the Apostle Paul chose to know nothing among the churches that he preached at except for Christ and him crucified for our sins. Because when you preach a crucified and risen Savior, there is no disconnect between the pulpit and a wheelchair. There is no disconnect between a pulpit and death. And when there is a disconnect between a pulpit and death, and a wheelchair, and a pulpit, and death, and a pulpit, and cancer. The problem is the, pul- is the pulpit and what's being preached in it, because it's not preaching the biblical gospel. And I've, I'm so sad for Tara. The story, I can relate to it. I remember when my grandpa was diagnosed with cancer, and I remember as a freshman in college receiving the phone call that my grandpa had died. Last night was opening night for baseball and the Dodgers played the Giants and I was listening to Vin Scully calling the game over the internet and I was taken back to my childhood when my grandpa would take me to the Dodger games and I missed him terribly and all those feelings I had at his death came flooding back. My hope is in the resurrection because I know that Jesus conquered death. And that in my baptism, I was baptized into his death and into his resurrection. I am in Christ. And I have hope. Hope even through death because death... We'll not have the last word because I know that Jesus rose again and his word is true. How sad. That's what's missing in all of this at a church.
5: I don't know what the wheelchairs would be for you in your life, those things that your heart could be crying, God, it's not right, it's not right, it's not right. Answer me, answer me, answer me. And he's saying, you're entirely missing the point. We say, God, I need to find you in this. I need to find you in this. I'm trying to fix it, and I can't fix it. Let me tell you some really, really, really good news. You can't save yourself. You can't fix yourself. You can't redeem yourself. You cannot make all things work together for good. But he can he creates it's what he does he does it for a living
1: Hmm. yeah he does create but that's not how he's chosen to fix this problem and it's sad that you are missing it
5: he's good at it and you can trust him to be good at it in your wheelchair there are things that only God can do And so when you are afraid of all the things that are not right in your life, I challenge you, I encourage you to to pull back just like God did in that creation story and rest in his creative ability to make good.
1: No, rest in Christ and him crucified for your sins. In your baptism, you were baptized into his death and into his resurrection. (sighs) Missing the gospel completely
5: even out of the mess, even out of the chaos. God created out of nothing. He can certainly create out of your anything and your everything. At our lost party, after all those conversations and confusion, we came to a very simple conclusion. As much as everybody would love to be able to say this was that and this meant that and that plane was the such and such plane and, and document it all and figure it all out and calculate we were all just left with this blanketing sense that I think there's just something more going on here. There's just something more. There's just something more than this. So when I visit my grandma now, and my heart sinks sometimes when she's not firing properly, I remind myself, Tara, there's something more. There's something more than this. And when I have students and counseling that I feel like I'm getting nowhere with, I remind myself, Tara, there's something more. God created one day at a time, and it was good. Make peace with that process of God's good creativity in your life, and let him do what only he Can do. Maybe when we come to the end of our story, we'll still be grasping and straining for answers. And maybe when we get to that point, much like Job in the Bible, we'll find that it wasn't really answers that we needed all along. It was him, it was just him. I could tell you that a movie is good, but you wouldn't really know until you went and watched it for yourself. I could tell you that a song is really good, but you would never know until you go and listen to it for yourself. I could tell you that a sandwich is really good, but you would never know until you go and taste it for yourself. I can stand here in between a wheelchair and a pulpit and tell you that God is good, but you will never know until you know Him yourself. We've been in the middle of a simple series, and I guess I can't think of anything more simple than the question Do you know Him? Do you know Him? Just can't close your eyes with
1: me. Normally, I don't go into the prayer with these folks. We're going to go through this one because there's some theological stuff that needs to be unpacked. Let's continue.
5: Just want you to think for a minute in the silence where there are no answers and there are no solutions and there's no noise.
1: <sighs> wow, this sounds like mysticism.
5: To work us up into feeling better. To think about what is your wheelchair? What is the thing in your life that's just not right and you wrestle, you struggle to find God in between it all? Maybe you struggle to believe that he's really good anymore. God, we just ask you to climb into that wheelchair with us.
1: He did. He already did that. He was born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He's already done that.
5: To climb into that thing that's just not right. That thing that hasn't come together like we expected. The hopes that have been crashed. The relationships broken. The bodies that are failing. God, we ask you to meet us there. You are there, God. Help us to be looking for you and to be listening. For you, Lord, help us not to get so caught up in questions and answers and equations and solutions that we miss the sheer goodness and beauty of God in the middle of this story.
1: So caught up in her own story that she misses the story of the Savior. Wow.
5: If there are some here today that maybe you don't know this God, so it's hard to believe that he's good. He loves you. He likes you. And he wants to know you.
1: No mention of sin, consequences of sin, the wrath of God.
5: If there are some here today who can say you know God, but there are things you just doubted about him. And I could say, "Me too. I do too." But he's present there. Maybe there are some who knew God in the past. You walked with Him. You had relationship with Him. But somewhere along the line, He's just been left out. He wants to be a part of your story,
1: and He wants to. He wants to be a part of my story. Wow, is that arrogant?
5: to make good in the middle of all the things that don't feel right. So God, we ask you to do that. God, we just say, here we are, create, make good, speak things into our lives and let them be done. Help us to see beyond.
1: Notice the misapplication of Genesis 1. Yes, it's true. It is true that our God speaks things into existence. He calls the things that are not as though they were. But that's not what he's promised to do in this situation that we've put ourselves into. You can't look for the solution in Genesis 1. The solution's not found there. The solution's found on Golgotha.
5: Beyond the obvious, to believe that there's something more and that you are capable of making all things good in your time, that you are good all the time, not because it's a cliche, God, but because it's a certainty, because it's your character. So, Lord, we just offer these lives to you, and we ask you to make good. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: no answers no gospel no christ you can see the you can see that she's wrestling with the consequences of our sin but despite the fact that she grew up in a pastor's home she has no idea where the cross even fits into any of that and she shouldn't be preaching anyway sad it's just sad it's a train wreck Postmodernity is what we heard in that. And the answers that were offered were not answers, just embracing the questions, thinking, I don't know, there's something bigger going on here. And yet the bigger thing that's going on has actually been revealed. We can know that with certainty. There are answers. Are all of our questions answered? No, they're not. But there are far more questions answered than what she gave. Makes it sound like she doesn't even know what those answers are, despite the fact that this is a girl who goes to church Sunday after Sunday. Stop and pray for Tara Gentry and for the folks at City Community Church. Need to remind you: Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. If you don't already support us, please visit our website and do so. You can do so. Uh, By going to fightingforthefaith.com, when you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says Donate. The other says Join Our Crew. Joining Our Crew signs you up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. So what would you think? I'd love to get your feedback. You can email me my email address. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash piratechristian or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. Till next week, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and His vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins and His victorious resurrection from the grave for your justification. Amen.